Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Open Concessions podcast presented by Toyota, featuring a weekly in-depth conversation with a Chicago Cubs-related personality. We are your hosts, Jim Deshays and Len Casper, the Cubs television duo. J.D., how are you this week? I'm well, Len. Um, spent a couple of weeks uh, back in northern New York and then made a 12-and-a-half-hour drive back here to Chicago. Looking forward to some lovely summer weather and perhaps maybe even some baseball. How about you? Doing okay? Same here. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> trying to enjoy the summer as we uh, wait uh, to see if we're going to have some baseball, and uh, we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But today's guest is Hall of Famer Fergie Jenkins, a 284-game winner. He had a six-year streak of at least 20 wins per season with the Cubs. He threw 4,500 major league innings. He struck out almost 3,200 batters while walking under 1,000. He could hit. He cranked 13 major league home runs. Uh, We love Fergie. We've talked to him a bunch in the booth over the years, J.D., and uh, just a great athlete. I mentioned the home runs. Uh, He fielded his position well. He kind of did it all. Yeah, he was an outstanding basketball player. Spent some time with the Harlem Globetrotters. He played some hockey as a kid growing up in Canada. Uh, Just a remarkable resume and he, he still ranks 10th all time in, in total strikeouts um a very interesting guy who's had a very interesting life he sure has and you know if you go on the way back machine kind of the uh, the early 20th century the the mordecai browns and and you know a few pitchers of that caliber you would say you know in terms of the best cubs pitcher of all time but in the modern era it's fergie yeah, oh, for sure. 267 complete games in his career, 49 shutouts. He won a Cy Young, finished in the top five on four other occasions, probably should have won one or two more. Um, the thing I find interesting, he only made three all-star teams. Um, I, I guess that speaks to roster size of the all-star teams uh, back in the day and, and, and just maybe the depth of, you know, he pitched in an era where it seemed like every team had at least one Hall of Fame pitcher on their staff. And Uh, You know, he was among the best in all of baseball for a long time. So here we go. Enjoy our conversation with Fergie Jenkins. Fergie, always a pleasure to chat with you. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing good, doing good here in uh, Frisco, Texas. That's uh, about 80 degrees right now at the quarter of 10. <laughs> <laughs> Going to be a hot one. Hey, we chatted, we chatted with your teammate, Billy Williams, last week uh, about what's going on in the world currently and uh, some of the experiences he had growing up in the South and then later as a big league player. Uh, I just want to start by getting your general thoughts on, on what you've seen uh, that's, that's gone on here the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it's really unfortunate uh, with the, the pandemic going on and people getting uh, unfortunately shot by uh, law enforcement people. Uh, the world's kind of in, in an uproar, and it's really not uh, something that's going to, I think, fix itself within the next couple of months. It's going to take a while. We will go back to uh, the, the early part of your career here in a second, but you know, the, I think one of the frustrating things among many is that we have made a lot of progress. Uh, some of the stories Billy told us last week about what he endured uh, in the late 50s and, and into the 60s is just it was heartbreaking. And so we have made tangible progress, but the fact that we still run into these issues is really frustrating, isn't it? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, uh, all of a sudden you think you've got a few things settled. Uh, there's been a lot of people on TV uh, talking about what we need to do and hope that we can carry it out within the next uh, a year or so. But uh, it is frustrating, and all of a sudden, then you see someone getting shot. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's 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 disturbing to a lot of different people. Are you hopeful, Fergie? I mean, I mean, and we asked Billy this too because when you've you know lived through the civil rights movement and had to deal with with racism, uh, and he's from the segregated South, you're from Canada, so it's a little bit different in terms of your backgrounds. But it has to be frustrating to you know, feel like a lot of progress has been made on this front and then to have things, you know, continue to blow up the way they have. And this, you know, the George Floyd situation is obviously not an isolated instance. There's been a lot of it. Um, it, it you got to, it just must be really frustrating for someone like you who has kind of witnessed this for so many years. Well, yes, I, I think when, when I signed, I was 18 years old, right out of high school. And the first city I played in was Miami, Florida. And Freddie Mason who was an older player, a troubleshooter on the ball from the Philly organization. Uh, there were four players of color on that team, a young fellow by the name of Green, uh, Reno Garcia from Cuba, Alex Johnson from Michigan, and myself from Canada. And he kind of gave us a, a an insight of where we could go, where where we could basically eat. And we stayed in the, in the Cuban uh, uh, black area of Biscayne Boulevard in Miami. And that was class D ball in 1962, and it was kind of a learning experience. Uh, like anything, I was there to play baseball, uh, trying to uh, enjoy myself and, and show the Philly organization that uh, they had signed a pretty good prospect. Well, that's the thing, and, and as we chatted with Billy, that you've got enough on your plate, right, to try to get to the big leagues and worry about doing your job and then to have to deal with all that other stuff, not only off the field, but sometimes uh, at the ballpark uh, had, had to be really disturbing. Well, in, in some cases it was. And, uh, uh, I, I told a story uh, to a reporter a week ago that uh, Class D ball was kind of the lowest rung in the ladder in organizations. And we traveled all by bus. and if we wanted to stop, uh, especially in Miami, if we're going to, to go to Palatka or Tampa, it, 
it was like a 10 hour trip. If we stopped someplace, we had to give our money to the other players, the white players on the team, and they would bring our food back to us uh, on the bus. Uh, or in AAA, we used to go to diners and have to eat uh, in the kitchen. But that was something that when the Bill of Rights got passed in 64, basically a lot of that changed. But it was just a learning experience for a youngster from Canada. Uh, I didn't uh, feel troubled. I felt safe on the field. Never had any problems with anybody. So I was very fortunate. How about growing up in Canada, Fergie? Did you experience any blatant racism uh, when you were growing up? Small community, Chatham, Ontario, about 23,000, 24,000 people, blue-collar farm area. Uh, I grew up with Dutch, German, Italian, Jewish, Japanese, and myself, my family. There were like, I think, 30 to 40 uh, black families uh, in the city of Chatham. My mother's family came to Canada in the Underground Railroad. So they had suffered probably more than, than I did. Uh, there was always an experience. A lot of the older uh, people in, in, in our community would tell me uh, what you had to face or uh, where you, where, where we came from, things like that. But, you know, until you get exposed to it, you really, really understand what's going on. You are pretty active on Twitter, and you've seen a lot of uh, the conversation involving uh, pro athletes who've been incredibly outspoken. I, I assume you're very supportive of those efforts? Well, definitely. I, I've seen uh, uh, quite a few athletes uh, telling uh, what they think, uh, letting people know that we're trying to resolve some of these problems. Uh, I just think that uh, I think we had the strike of 68 where Kareem and uh, I think it was uh, Bill Russell and Jim Brown, a few guys went to New York. Well, quite a few guys went to New York and let basically the public know what their, their thoughts were. And I think that's what's happening right now. LeBron James has talked quite a bit. Uh, Russell with, uh, Kent, with uh, the uh, Seattle uh, uh, ball club. A lot of football players have come forward and a lot of basketball players now. I, I just think that these young men that carry uh, a lot of weight that are super, super popular can let people know what they think, and uh, we're hoping it's going to work. What about the, the, the summer of 68 with the Democratic Convention here in Chicago? What do you remember about that, the, the riots? Oh, uh, Billy and I were going home. Uh, I lived on the south side. Billy lived on Constance. I lived on Ogilvy, and we seen horsemen run people through Grant Park. Uh, I think the mayor at the time, Mr. Daly, said, we're not putting up with this. And he ran people right across the outer drive to the lake. So it was pretty dramatic. And even play, trying to play day baseball, there were a, a lot of undertones. Uh, people were whispering this, this, and this. But uh, as I said, I felt safe on the field playing baseball. And in terms of, uh, you know, I mentioned social media and, and players speaking out, uh, I, I think there's power in numbers, right? And when one person is kind of hanging out there on, on a limb, and I think of Colin Kaepernick, uh, it's really difficult. Um, do you think that is important, that it's a group of players, not just one or two? Well, when he did his uh, display uh, kneeling, 
I think people didn't understand what he was trying to get across. He, he, he thought that the abuse was done by law enforcement. And for him kneeling at the flag, people didn't think he respected the country or the flag. And unfortunately, he got, he got blackballed. He, he got punished. And right now, he's been out of the game, well, four or five years. He, and he's trying to get back, but I don't think it's going to happen. He's an older athlete. There's been some ball clubs interested. But I think if they would have understood what he was trying to get across, he wouldn't have had uh, this unfortunate uh, situation he was in. We talked about uh, your childhood a little bit. Uh, as you take yourself back to your upbringing, uh, I, I read 14 stitches meant no hockey. Is that is that right? And what happened? Did you take a stick to the head or something? Uh, I got uh, I got over defenseman. I got hit a few times. Uh, uh, I had a I tried to poke check an individual coming down on a on a breakaway, and uh, the puck ran up my stick and mm. uh, gave me a pretty good gashing in the, in the face. I had 14 stitches across my lip, lost seven teeth. <laughs> uh, but it, it was a learning experience. Uh, I played hockey as high as junior B uh, at the age of uh, 16, 17. And I thought that was going to be my sport. Willie O'Ree, just to give you a, a caption, a story, was the first player of color to play in Boston. And Boston had a spring training game in London, Ontario. I'm 15 years old. My dad took me to the arena, and I seen Willie O'Ree play. And the, for me to see a, a player of color on a pro team, NHL team, I said, maybe there is an opportunity for me. Hockey was my first love. Basketball second. Baseball was third. And baseball ended up winning out. I, I just think that uh, growing up, I, I had good ability, but I didn't know what sport was going to get me an opportunity to be a professional athlete. And Gene DeJura, the scout that signed me, Tony Lucadello, seen potential in me. And that's when I signed uh, for the Phillies in 1962. And your dad was a pretty good baseball player too, right? My dad played in the Negro League. Yeah, he played uh, out of Chatham, played in Michigan, played in Ohio, played in uh, New York. And he was an outfielder, uh, left-handed. He threw left-handed, hit left-handed. Uh, to this day, I wish I would have had an opportunity to see my dad play. And a lot of stories, people that uh, were from my small town, Will tell me how good my dad was, and you, you kind of understand that he loved the sport, and I love the sport. And I think if that's the number one thing you're thinking about, potentially you're going to get better as you play, and that's what happened to me. I, I've read a story for again. You can confirm or deny this, or fill in the details uh, about you uh, honing your your arm strength uh, at Terry's Coal Yard. Is that is that accurate? Yeah, it's a, it's a good story. I was raised uh, on a street called Colburn Avenue in Terry's Coal Yard. There was a spur, Chesapeake, Ohio, spur railway that came in to pick up ice and coal. And there was a chute that was like maybe 70, 80, 90 feet away. I could hit it nine times out of ten. And unfortunately, doing this, a lot of times uh, they would complain, come across the street and, and say, Mr. Jenkins, you your son would stop throwing rocks, uh, the rocks and the coal is freezing in the ice, and we're trying to get <laughs> ice in a lot of these, these uh, coal cars and ice cars. But uh, I, I had good control as a kid, 10, 11, 12 years old. 
And I think it helped me uh, throwing. But I wasn't a, a pitcher when I played. I was a first baseman. I didn't start pitching until I was 15, 16 years old. So obviously you could hit. Uh, yeah. Do you ever do you ever think about your 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 life as a uh, as a position player versus a pitcher? <laughs> well, the Phillies signed me as a pitcher first baseman, but I never got the opportunity. I pitched, run, pitched hit a few times in the minor leagues. I had four home runs in the minor leagues in the Philly organization, and I think I hit thirteen big leagues as a Cub. So I wasn't afraid to hit. I, you know, I enjoyed playing the game of baseball, and. Uh, I look back, I, I'm not sure if I'd have been a good position player or not, but I enjoyed pitching. How did you find time? Like, like you know, you, you talk about your first love being hockey, but you also played basketball, toured with the Globetrotters. That's a really interesting note. Um, the hockey and basketball seasons usually run around the same time, do they not? You yes, manage uh, to find time for both? The season, uh, it was my first year I won 20 games as a Cub in 1967. Bill Zavino was the marketing uh, individual the Globetrotters. He came by the ballpark and asked me if I was going to go back to Canada, would I like to play maybe a couple dozen games with the Globetrotters? I knew Guy Sosby. I'd never met Meadowlark or Curley or Bobby Joe Mason, Leon Hilliard. I met them on an off day in Chicago in September. They had a shoot-around. I went down to one of the local gyms where they were, got a chance to meet the guys, and I just kind of showed them what my ability was all about. And it just seemed to, to click. I fit right in, a ball player playing basketball, and uh, touring with him for, I did three years, almost 185 ball games. Wow. wow. And I would imagine you forged lifelong friendships too, huh? <laughs> I played in the, with the amphitheater in Chicago. I scored like 10, 12 points. And uh, there was a lot of fun office people with the Cubs there. But uh, I just enjoyed playing the game. I, I I was a, an athlete, so when you think about it, I just enjoyed sports. So six consecutive 20-win uh, uh, seasons with the Cubs. Uh, you mentioned day baseball a little bit earlier. Uh, did you enjoy that? And once you got to the American League and your schedule changed, was that an adjustment? Oh, yeah, I, I enjoyed uh, day baseball. Uh, Billy uh, lived about five, six blocks from me. And he'd come pick me up, or George Altman, and we'd drive to the park. Uh, having to get me at the park at, at 8.45, 9 o'clock, dressing on the field, take batting practice, shag fly balls, and then pitch. Uh, it's really surprising, and I've told people all the time, in my era, we played a double hitter every Sunday. I get Cincinnati, the Dodgers, San Francisco, and you had to be at the ballpark at, at 8 o'clock. First game starts at noon. And second game when it was over, a lot of times Wrigley Field, the second game, we had a few games called because it got dark. But day baseball, I really enjoyed playing. And my roommate was Ernie Banks. To have an individual of his stature and Billy and, and, and Ron Sano, these guys, Glenn Becker, playing the game was, was enjoyable in Chicago. Who was your favorite teammate? I know it's uh, it's like saying who's your favorite uh, child, but <laughs> did did you have did you have one guy uh, who you felt closer to than any other? Well, Billy and I we we hunted in the off season. Uh, you know, it's surprising how many people would come to Wrigley Field uh, from the outskirting areas around Barrington and and uh, all those different places. And we had some farmers talk to us. The rumor was that Billy and I really liked to hunt, hunt and fish. 
So they would come, give us an opportunity to, to hunt on their ranches or their, or their farms. And uh, I raised German shorthair and English pointer dogs and Billy had a Rottweiler. I mean, a Weimarider. And we would take our dogs hunting. And every so often the farmers said, well, we haven't seen a lot of pheasants on this place. We'd walk the fence line. We'd come back. We'd have five or six cockbirds. So we'd tell them that we had the, the, the right uh, dogs to hunt. And we enjoyed And we do a lot of fishing, too. Billy and I bought a, 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 a boat together, Chris Craft. Uh, we used to fish uh, Lake Michigan a lot of times. So that, Billy and I really had the uh, similar uh, aspects of what we would try to do in the off season and what we try to do during the season. So uh, I enjoyed uh, uh, Billy's company. He was a super individual. Well, how about so with Ernie? You know, famously, you know, said, "Let's play too," and uh, always uh, an optimistic. <laughs> Did it ever get annoying? Did you guys ever say, come on, Ernie, nobody wants to play two today. It's too hot. <laughs> I gave Ernie the nickname, AM and FM. It was like a radio. You couldn't turn them off. <laughs> uh, on the road, uh, we, we just enjoyed each other's company, eating or room service, uh, going out, uh, playing on the road, San Francisco, Cincinnati, Dodgers. He, he'd always give me a, an added advice. This guy's dangerous. We got to respect Willie Mays. You got to respect McCovey. Same thing with Pete Rose, Tony Perez, uh, Philadelphia, Dick Allen. I mean, you got to respect certain people that you got to pitch against. And, and I kind of took that to heart because of the fact that all these talented players were out there to, to perform and, and to win for their, for their ball club. So when I, I had my opportunity to pitch, I always in the back of my mind would hear Ernie telling me, Maury Wills, keep him off the base. Willie McCovey, don't let him hit a fastball. <laughs> Things like that. So uh, uh, I really enjoyed uh, the time with Ernie Banks. So I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, Lance. I just, I just want to circle back to, uh, uh, you know, you came up with the Phillies in 65 at the age of 22. What do you remember about your, your big league debut? Uh, I, I beat the Cardinals in relief. I pitched four or five innings of relief. and. Beat Bob Gibson. Jim Bunning started the ball game, and I relieved Jim Bunning in like the uh, fifth or sixth inning. And uh, we, I think we won it in the tenth. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your Phillies days because we, we really haven't uh, talked to you much about uh, what I think eight appearances or so of the Phillies, but just the big league moment, right? I'm looking at some of your teammates when you, when you got started. You mentioned, uh, I believe, Alex Johnson earlier. He was on that 65 club, Johnny Callison, Wes Covington, uh, Adolfo Phillips. Uh, you mentioned Bunning, Bo Belinsky. Uh, it, it was an interesting group. Lou Burdett was on that staff. Right. There were, I mean, there were the veterans that all the rookies or the players who had very little experience, you better listen to what the, the veterans were talking about. So, I mean, it was interesting. I used to try to, uh, in spring training, I, I, got, I went to three major league camps. And I used to try to pick Jim Bunning's ear off. Uh, same thing with Ed Robot. Uh, what, what do you look for when these guys come to the plate? How are their stance? Uh, what do they like to hit? Things like that. And the, the added advice that they gave to a lot of rookies, myself, Grant Jackson, Rick Wise, Gary Wagner, I mean, it all worked. We, we, we were very fortunate to, to stay in the big leagues a long time. Did you cross paths in the big leagues with the Phillies with Bob Euchre? 
Yes, Bob Euchre was, he was one spring training. He was uh, a catcher uh, with, uh, with Clay Dalrymple. And, uh, you know, it's really funny. He's hitting, he's hit, uh, I think, uh, home runs off four Hall of Famers. I think Jim, uh, Gaylord Perry, Sandy Colfax, myself, and Drysdale. I'm not mistaken. <laughs> and he, he brings that up every so often when I see him. If I'm in Milwaukee or uh, spring training, he say, hey, Bert, geez, hope that home run didn't hurt your opportunity to get in the, get in the Hall of Fame. I want to cost you a couple of votes. Yeah. Was he, was, uh, he had to be hilarious even when he was a player. He was. You know, the first time I seen him uh, in, in, in street clothes, besides as a ball player, was on the Johnny Carson show. I don't know how many appearances he made, but he was a stand-up comic. I mean, he just had some one-liners that just tear people up. And then when he got inducted in the Hall of Fame, he had the funniest, the funniest speech that, that particular afternoon. Yeah, and for uh, those youngsters out there, Johnny Carson uh, hosted a late-night talk show uh, back in the day, kind of like uh, Jimmy Kimmel and uh, Jimmy Fallon uh, do today. I think Euchre made more appearances than any other guest uh, on the uh, Carson show. Uh, so how about some of your managers? And uh, for J.D. and me, Billy Martin is always a really interesting guy. Uh, you played for him in Texas during uh, what – was a real crazy period in that franchise's history. What What are the first few memories that pop into your head about Billy? <laughs> well, the rumors were, don't cross him. Uh, <laughs> and little excuse. And don't say uh, the blame belongs to somebody else. Own up to it. Uh, in spring training uh, in 74, when I got traded from the Cubs, he thought I was a clubhouse lawyer, and I went, no, 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 I, I, I just speak my piece. Uh, and the other thing is that all the reports you've heard, I don't have a sore arm. There's nothing wrong with my arm. Uh, I, I, I kind of reassured him. I said, if you give me that ball every fourth day, I can win some ball games, which I did. I won 25 ball games. Uh, at 41 starts at a 282 ERA. That's a pretty good yeah. year. Yeah, and, and, and I got shut up four or five times where – I could have possibly won a lot more than, than, than 25 ball games. But the nice thing about it, he, he was similar to Leo. And Leo was the kind of guy that if he thought you were in control of the ball game, he would not use the bullpen. Uh, Billy Martin a lot of times would come by me, hey, big fella, how do you feel? He said, I'm fine. I said, well, hey, it's your game to win or lose, right? There. Just like that. I mean, uh, that confidence that he'd give you was similar to what Leo did. When I was with the Cubs all those years, I was very fortunate to win 20 games. That had to be a fun year because you, uh, the year before, I, I think the uh, Rangers lost over 100 games, and, and all of a sudden you kind of took uh, the AL West by storm. And you had a kid named David Clyde who had made his debut the year before at age, what, 19, uh, right out of high school? No, 18 uh, when he made his big league debut. What do you remember about uh, the, the top overall pick from the uh, 73 draft? Well, David Clyde, he had good stuff. He had a, had a good breaking ball, had good fastball. He was, he was a strong youngster, uh, for 18, 19 years old when he came up. He had decent control. And, uh, unfortunately, we just didn't score a lot of runs for him that, that, that 74 season. And, uh, Billy sent him back to, to uh, AAA. But, you know, what's nice about when youngsters come up, the, uh, managers that, that can see the potential, Will give you an opportunity to, to to find your way. 
and Billy Martin was that type of individual. We had Jim Sundberg, a rookie, Mike Hargrove, a rookie, Jeff Burrow's only in his third year, Kobe Hara, third year, fourth year. I mean, Billy liked to see players play and, and excel, and I was one of those guys. I, I had like eight or nine years in the big leagues, but he enjoyed watching me pitch, and I had that opportunity to go out there every fourth day and try to win some ball games. So as we move forward a little bit, uh, you end up back with the Cubs uh, t- at the end of your career. What was that like coming back home, so to speak? Well, uh, I had just gotten uh, left uh, left off a roster with the Rangers, and Dallas Green got a hold of me and asked me. Uh, he phoned me at my house, in fact, in uh, London, Ontario. He wanted to know if I could still pitch. And I said, of course I can still pitch. So he said, well, we're going to send you a contract. We'd like to see your report to Scottsdale uh, in uh, in January, and which I did. I came to spring training, and, and I was in decent shape. I got into better shape throwing the ball and uh, came back. I felt comfortable pitching in Wrigley Field because uh, that was basically the first part where I won multiple games, so I enjoyed pitching. And when it was over, uh, what did that feel like? Because that, that, that transition is sometimes very difficult for guys. I was heartbroken. <laughs> uh, my dad and I had a, a ranch farm together in, in, in Blenheim, Ontario. So I knew when I would leave the game, I had something to do. A, a lot of guys that leave the game really have, have never planned for what comes after baseball. But I had a, I had a farm. I had three beautiful daughters, a wife, my dad on the farm. So I knew what the, uh, I had to do. But, you know, when they tell you your career is over or they don't want your services anymore, uh, you kind of break down a little bit. I had a tear in my eye. Uh, good friend of mine, Yosh Kawano, and, and Joe uh, remembers Yosh. When uh, when players get released, they give you a, a green garbage bag. <laughs> you put your equipment in. Your your career is over. I, and, and Yosh did the same thing. I said, Yosh, I came here. I had an equipment bag. I'm leaving with a Cub equipment bag, which he gave me an equipment bag with my last day of I think it was in March of March 15th or so in 19, uh, uh, geez, I think of the year, uh, 83. 83, right. Yeah, 83. Yeah. I said, I'm leaving this ball club with a Cub equipment bag, which they, I still have right now. Man, that's cold hearted. So back in the day, they wouldn't let you keep your equipment bag. They just gave you a trash bag. No, and when you get released in spring training, oh, man. back then, you turn your uniform in, they have a green garbage bag. Put your stuff in that. See you later. You got a plane ticket home. <laughs> wow. That's a future that's a future Hall of Famer. That's, yeah, I don't blame you for lobbying to keep the equipment bag. I'm looking at some of the guys you faced uh, over the course of your career. And, uh, boy, the name's at the top in terms of uh, uh, lots of plate appearances. Pete Rose, Lou Brock, Joe Torrey, Rusty Staub, Tim McCarver. Roberto Clemente, Tony Perez, Bobby Bonds, Willie Stargell. Some of those matchups, I'm sure, come back to you. Uh, who did you enjoy facing the most, and who did you hate having to face? Well, the challenge was uh, to me was Roberto Clemente. They, uh, Pittsburgh is in our division. I might have five starts against them uh, in a season. Uh, at the time, they had Len Clendenin on that ball club, Willie Stargell. Uh, 
Manny Seguin, Manny, they had a Gene Alley, uh, Mazeroski, they had a good roster of players. So if you're going to try to to beat that ball club, you had to give up very few runs, uh, and you hope your team scored runs. So, I mean, to, to keep your wits about you, uh, you had to know what your, your plan was. And Randy Hundley and I always had a game plan. Uh, we would go over the hitters well, maybe once or twice uh, before my starts even. And the day of the start, uh, if we played at home day or if we played in Pittsburgh, of what, who was hot, who wasn't hot, what we're going to try to do with men on base, nobody on base. The game plan was, was pretty strict, but we tried to stay to it. Did, did you and Randy, did you shake him off much or would you let him run the game? <laughs> I used to shake him off all the time. He'd yeah. come back to the same pitch. He used to get frustrated. And when the, game, when the inning was over, he'd go, what are you trying to do out there? I said, Randy, I, try, I want the hitter to think a little bit when I'm out to the pitch. But uh, <laughs> Randy and I had a game plan. And uh, every so often, shaking him off, shaking him off. He says, I only got four fingers. How many pitches do you have? I said, Randy, I only got four pitches. Come on. <laughs> but we used to have a lot of, a lot of conferences, a lot of talk. Uh, I enjoyed pitching to him. Him, Ben Rudolph, we had uh, Bill Heath on that ball club, J.C. Martin, there were a few, uh, Gene Oliver. There was a lot of fun pitching these guys. Chris Ganazero, one year with the Cubs. So I enjoyed pitching. The Wrigley Field was a lot of fun. Did you develop any pitches once you got to the big leagues, or did you pretty much have the same repertoire throughout? Well, my first really – Bonafide pitching coach was Cal McClish. I went to winter ball, 63-4 and part of 65, Puerto Rico. And uh, Cal taught me a slider. The late Freddie Martin taught me the, the, the split finger. I threw it as a changeup, uh, where Bruce Suter threw it hard as a fork ball. But when I look back, Cal McClish had to have been my pitching coach. He taught me that slider in, in the 60s. That's the pitch. That got me to the big leagues. We're chatting with Fergie Jenkins, a Hall of Famer, and we will continue our chat after a quick word from our sponsor. Here's to the road ahead. Trust Toyota to be here for you. A Toyota hybrid will give you the confidence to go farther than ever. Enjoy advanced tech in the Camry Hybrid. Load up the family in the roomy Highlander Hybrid or adventure in the RAV4 hybrid, the best hybrid SUV for the money. And right now, get 0% financing on every Toyota hybrid, all from the brand you trust. Today, tomorrow, Toyota. View U.S. News Best Cars at cars.usnews.com on 2020 hybrid models, terms available on approved credit through participating dealers and Toyota Financial Services. Not all customers will qualify. Void where prohibited. Offer ends July 6th, 2020. Fergie Hall of Fame Day. Uh, I believe uh, Rod Carew was one of the guys who went in with you. Is that right? In your class? Rod Carew, yes. So what what do you remember about that day when uh, you had to give your speech? How nervous were you? Well, interesting story. Uh we're, at, we're staying at the uh, Otisaga Hotel, and we're all, before the buses come, we're all in a room where everybody meets. And I'm sitting with, with Gaylord, because I pitched a lot against Gaylord. Uh, 
in San Francisco and in Cleveland, and we're teammates. Uh, we're sitting there, and who walks in the room with Joe DiMaggio and Ted Williams? Oh. I was like a little kid. I had to find myself a baseball. Uh, I left the room, got a baseball. Somebody got me a ball, and I still have that ball to this day. That both signatures of Ted and Joe DiMaggio on one ball. Uh, within an hour to two hours, you're on stage. You're sitting there in front of 30, 40,000 people. And Rod Carew had the, the mic first. He, he went up and he talked about his career, who he thanked, and he thanked Billy Martin. And I'm sitting there, uh, and I wasn't nervous. It felt like opening day in Chicago. The back of Rod Carew's pants, he had a gray pair of pants and a blue blazer. He, they were they were soaking wet. You could see the, the, the sweat coming through the back of his pants. Gaylord Perry had a green suit on, his, had a white shirt and a green tie. He was soaking wet. And he was at, he asked me, you're not nervous? I said, Taylor, it feels like opening day. You know, to this day, I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever been nervous playing a sport or connected with baseball. I just, I feel comfortable knowing that that was something I enjoyed doing. I did it for 21 seasons, uh, and playing globetrotters or talking about the game. Uh, I just enjoy it, you know, because of the fact that I think I had good tutors. My dad first, and my mentor was Gene DeJure. I just, the sport was part of my life. You pitched in an era for me where there were so many really good pitchers, and uh, it seemed like every team had a Hall of Fame pitcher. <laughs> you go back to Koufax and Drysdale and Necro and Seaver, yourself, Perry. Uh, is there anybody from that era that is probably overlooked that was, you know, maybe deserves a little more credit than they got? Um, Two pitchers. There's two pitchers that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Tommy John and Jim Cott. Jim Cott has one less win than I have. He has 283, and I think uh, uh, Tommy John has 287 or 289. I mean, uh, I had a chance to play against these individuals, and you could tell the ability they had, and they displayed it on the field, and unfortunately, couldn't get the votes. Dick Allen's another one. Tony Oliva, uh, Roger Maris. Uh, I got a chance to pitch against Roger Maris when he was with the Cardinals. Uh, I, I just think that the, a lot of times uh, the vote getters or the people that cast ballots really have overlooked some of these individuals, and and it's unfortunate. Boy, you are spot on. I, I agree with all of those. Dick Allen was absolutely a, a Hall of Fame player. And, you know, he, uh, as I look at his numbers, he had a career 378 on base percentage. And, uh, you know, those things were not talked about a lot uh, during those days. Jim Cott pitched in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 25 years in the big leagues. And, uh, J.D., you can chime in on this, too, if you want. Tommy John should be in just for the historical significance of his surgery and the fact that he came back and had such a great career. Yeah, he won. Uh, he won more games post surgery than he did before. Uh, before he had the operation. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think some of those guys suffer um, because there were there were so many good pitchers in that era, uh, and, and some of those guys get lost. And that's why I posed the question. You know, the other guy that deserves a long look is probably Louis Tiant. 
who had a remarkable well, we had, uh, well over 250 ball games. I think he won. Here, here's a name for you, Bert Campanaris. Yeah, Campy. Yeah. I mean, three times he was with Oakland, a championship team. Uh, he could have been an MVP. Reggie Jackson ended up winning it quite a few times, but Bert Campanaris on base percentage, uh, stealing bases, uh, championship, great shortstop. Uh, Louis Tion, as you said, uh, there's a lot of players that I think have been overlooked. They retire the same time other players, and they just don't get the votes. Well, we, we kind of buried the lead with the Hall of Fame. Uh, a fellow Canadian, Larry Walker. Uh, yeah. So that has to feel really good for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, it took 29 years for him to get in. He's in now. <laughs> I went in the 91, and he went in just this, this past vote which I think is outstanding. I mean, he had a great career and signed originally with Montreal and uh, had a great career there in Denver. I think he won a batting title, a couple of home run championships. I mean, he's got great numbers. He's another, he just got overlooked. Your baseball legacy in your home country of Canada, uh, I would imagine there were a lot of young uh, athletes who watched Fergie Jenkins and he's from Ontario. Man, I want to play baseball. That has to feel pretty good. It does. You know, Doug Melvin, the general manager uh, with uh, I think with Baltimore, Texas, no, uh, Milwaukee. Yep. Yeah, Milwaukee. Uh, we we're born on the same street. Billy Atkinson, another player, played with Montreal and the White Sox. Born on Adelaide Street. I grew up a uh, kid in Canada. And when I used to come back uh, during the winter months, I used, we used to work out together. So another young fellow was uh, Eddie Myers, a right-handed pitcher. Uh, ended up hurting his shoulder second year in pro ball. Played in Spartansburg and uh, he played uh, one other state. But, I mean, it just happens. Baseball was a, was a sport that a, a lot of Canadians played basically summer months, very late May or in June. And we're done in September. Uh, it's a short season. If you play 35, 40 ball games, that was it. Not like kids in California or kids in the, some of the Latin American countries play 80, 90 ball games. Now, when I was coaching in, in Oklahoma, they, they've got these youngsters that on travel baseball. These kids play 90 games. I mean, they're 12 or 13 years old. You're wearing them out, but they play a lot of baseball in Oklahoma and here in Texas. You, you finished, as we said, back with the Cubs. Was there ever a thought toward the end of your career, man, it would be cool to, to pitch for the Blue Jays? Uh, it came up. Uh, but at the time, uh, they were going on a youth movement. movement. Uh, I was 38, 39 years old it was before I came back to the Cubs. Uh, I would have liked to pitch in Canada. Uh, Montreal still had a, a ball club, too. Mm -hmm. uh, the Blue Jays were... Toronto was close to where I uh, was born, uh, a couple hours away. It would have been nice to have pitched uh, for the Blue Jays, but just didn't happen. So you, you, where you grew up, uh, were the Tigers the team you, you ended up following mostly just because they were the, the closest? Yes. Uh, they had Al Kaline on that team, Charlie Maxwell, Willie Horton. See, there were these Norm Cash, oh, Rocky Calavito. Oh, jeez. There were some players that, you know, I think about Jake Wood. I could name them off. Uh, 
Olive. These they were they, they had a good organization. Bill Freehand was a catcher. Uh, I seen a lot of ball games. My dad used to take me to games uh, from time to time at Old Tiger Stadium. So it would have been nice to finish my career. I think Sparky Anderson was the manager in '83 when uh, when, I, when I left the ball club. I uh, went to Tiger Stadium a few times with buddies. We'd go catch a ball game or so in Old Tiger Stadium. Would you go down to dugout and try to score some autographs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to Sparky Anderson one time. He said, what are you doing home? I said, well, I'm retired. Uh, I played enough. I'm home trying to raise three daughters and uh, just trying to make a, a life for myself after the game of baseball. Yeah, he was Captain Hook, though. You wouldn't have gotten along with him. He would have tried to pull you after six. <laughs> no, Leo was tough, too. He, Leo would lead me in ballgames. But, you know, I, it, you, you can convince a manager, if you're if still in total control of the game, uh, I think bullpen wasn't all that strong back then. You know, I, I, I see uh, a Goose Gossage from time to time, and he would always say, this holder thing. What's this holder thing? What's this setup guy? He said there was only a, you were short relief or long relief. That was it out of the bullpen. <laughs> yeah, I remember no talking to Larry Durker years ago, and especially for you know you top of the rotation type guys. You know, Durker said he you know he'd be struggling a little bit, but he'd look out in the bullpen and he said, "There's nobody out there that's going to pitch better than me, even when I'm at you know seventy percent." And I think that's just you know that's the nature of the way the game has changed with specialization out there, but. I would imagine, you know, Leo and Billy and others thought, you know, 80% of Fergie is better than 100% of whoever's hanging out out there in the bullpen. In Wrigley Field, the bullpen's down the left field line, and they've got a, a bullpen phone. You can actually hear that ring when you're standing on the rubber. Believe me. The pitcher, <laughs> I've heard it several times, and I tell myself, well, now's the time to buckle down. I'm not letting the bullpen. Somebody come in my golf, my ball game. But Leo would let me know on the bench, just like Billy Mark. Hey, if you're in control of the ball game, hey, big fella, you're staying in the game. But I, I've actually heard that phone ring, standing on the rubber. They're getting somebody up. Literally a wake-up call, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So, you know, you were, uh, as we mentioned, uh, you started your career with the Phillies and then traded to the Cubs. Um you know what, what were your what were you, what were you thinking at the time when you were traded, and did you take offense? And and uh, because I said your numbers against the Phillies <laughs> are unbelievable, twenty six and eight with a two point three nine uh, ERA against that Philly ball club. Did you take it personally when they traded you away? Uh, I'm not sure if I did or not. But I just knew the players who was on the on the roster uh, from Tony Taylor, Ruben Amaro, Callison, Dick Allen, all these guys because I played against them a, a lot of times in in, uh, in spring training uh, to get in shape. You knew them, so you knew what they liked to hit and, and their mannerisms. But you know what's nice is that when I, when I got traded, I thought that right away this organization, they had seen me for three seasons. They, they knew what my capabilities were. I said, not that they didn't want me, but Gene Mock said, he, he really would like veteran pitching. And uh, I got traded, Grant Jackson. There were so many young guys got traded. Uh, it's really unfortunate. But I think the trade really helped me 
I came to a young ball club. Uh, the only veterans on the team were Ernie, Billy, and Ronnie. And the rest of us were all in our 20s. Randy, Kester Becker, Bill Hans, Kenny Holzman. There were so many. Rich Nye, Joe Necro. We were all just youngsters at, at hardly any major league experience. So it was a, an opportunity for me to, to put my best foot forward and see what happened. We've really enjoyed the time uh, chatting with you today, Fergie. And as uh, a way of asking a last question, we do a thing where we have uh, everybody give us kind of an unpopular opinion or preference. And I'm going to I'm going to ask you a specific one because your career matched a really interesting time in terms of uniforms in baseball. When you started, you still had the old school look with the wool, the button downs. Then you got into the 70s and it got really crazy with polyester and Sanzibelt and all those things. So here's my question to Fergie Jenkins. Not a uniform you necessarily wore, but maybe one you played against. Was there a particular 70s uniform that you really liked, like the, the Pirates, you know, yellow and uh, top and black pants, or the Padres or the Astros or any of those uniforms? Was there one you loved or one you hated? Well, two I, I really enjoyed. Because uh, spring training was in Arizona when Oakland went to the multicolor uniforms, mm -hmm. uh, green, yellow, and white. Uh, Cincinnati and Pittsburgh had the sleeveless. Uh, those were really, really pretty uniforms, picturesque, as you call them. But Oakland, by far, had the prettiest uniform. Good call. Fergie, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. And uh, let's do it again sometime, okay? My pleasure. Uh, if if we can do it, if baseball doesn't doesn't happen, I don't mind talking about the game. I love it. <laughs> Thanks, Fergie. My pleasure, guys. Thanks, All right. Great stuff with Hall of Famer Fergie Jenkins. We, we talked about this during uh, our conversation and, and in our intro, J.D., but, I mean, just what an incredible athlete. It, it sounded like he could have played basketball, baseball. Hockey was his, actually his favorite sport. He, he could have been a, a tri-sport threat. Yeah, he ran track in high school as well. He reached junior B in, in hockey. Um, I think it was his mom that, after he got the 14 stitches, <laughs> decided that he should move in a different direction. Yeah, just a you know a very unique individual to, to be that talented to, to have that many options athletically. And I also appreciated uh, his comments about guys he thinks should be in the Hall of Fame. We we chatted a few weeks ago with Tim Kirkchin, and there seems to be this prevailing attitude that once you get in the Hall of Fame, you'd like to keep it as exclusive as possible. But I don't I don't get that sense with Fergie. No, not at all. That, that, that's what crossed my mind when he was talking about that as well. He, he was willing to open those doors you know, wide open and, and let in a lot of other deserving people. And as you mentioned, there are a lot of guys in there that, that wanted to be a very exclusive club. And uh, you know, I feel like their accomplishments will maybe be diminished if the hall gets you know, bigger and bigger. Uh, but clearly that is not uh, Fergie's point of view. All right, so in terms of news this week, uh, at the time of this recording, uh, it doesn't look great uh, for Major League Baseball. Uh, there have been a lot of twists and turns. It, it started to look like we were, if not 
hours away, days away from either an agreement or the commissioner announcing that we had a plan to get back to work. Uh, we, we seem to have hit a bit of a stalemate here, J.D. It doesn't mean that, uh, that there won't be a season, and they often say it's darkest before the dawn. Uh, but in terms of the headlines, there are just way too many about how, quote, the sausage is being made. Yeah, I've long pondered the difference between cautiously or guardedly optimistic and pessimism. <laughs> I think right. we're, we're, we're on that very fine line, at least I am. Um, you know, I felt all along that we would have some semblance of a baseball season. You know, I was hoping for something at least you know, close to 80 games. Uh, that's not likely to happen. Uh, I still feel like there's going to be baseball, but uh, I'm not quite as confident as I was uh, just a week ago. But some really good news. Uh, Ed Howard, a fine young high school shortstop from the Chicago area, was the Cubs' first pick in last week's draft. 16th overall. He was thrilled. His family was excited. Uh, He's got a lot of connections to the White Sox. Tim Anderson is kind of his mentor. Uh, But the Cubs are really happy about getting what they believe was the best shortstop in the draft. Yeah, they were ecstatic. That was the guy they they, they had kind of targeted going into the draft. and I read one scouting report on him where it said his floor was Anderson Simmons. Anderson Simmons is a really good major league shortstop. For, so for that to be this kid's floor, uh, imagine what the ceiling is. I'm very anxious to see him uh, when he ultimately gets to the big leagues. All right. For this week's admission, I will go first, and I'll piggyback off the uh, Fergie uniform conversation. You know how much I love the old uh, baby blue road uniforms that was in vogue in the 70s and into the uh, 80s. So I like that teams are bringing that back. The Cardinals uh, wear that on the road on Saturdays, the Twins, the Blue Jays. But my big pet peeve is that some of those teams wear those at home. You cannot wear a throwback Phillies powder blue in Philadelphia, J.D. That's the road uniform. Come on, man. Take it on the road. Show it off. Let the people see it. That's right. Yeah, what, do you, what do you got this week? I'm with you. Well, I have two things. One, uh, this is not a, an admission or a concession. It's just a note. Um, Fergie brought up Cal McClish, his pitching coach at Tom the Slider. And uh, I wanted to quiz Fergie if he knew what Cal McClish's full name was. Uh, do you know what Cal McClish's full name is? I do not. Calvin Coolidge, Julius Caesar. Tuscahoma McClish. He was uh, the seventh of eight children. Apparently the first one his father got to name, so he wanted to name him after all those historical characters. And for some reason that has stuck in my head uh, since I learned that back in the 70s. My admission is, um, and and I just like to bear my soul at this little point of our podcast, I failed my first road test as a kid driving uh, my dad's big station wagon, uh, and I was guilty of... uh, uh, of uh, not coming to complete stop at, at the stop sign. And so I know there are a lot of people out there that are tormented by the fact that they failed their road test, and I just want to let them know that I'm, I'm you know, with them. <laughs> Sympatico with all the bad drivers out there. Oh, I love it. That's good stuff. We appreciate you listening. As always, special thanks to Max Berman, Joe Rios, Big Jim Oboykowicz. Matt Romito, Daniel Green, Shane McGuire, Adam Sobel, and for Jim Deshays, I'm Len Casper. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. Open Concessions, presented by Toyota. We'll talk to you next week. And remember, come to a complete stop. (laughs) 